welcome back. We are studying Genesis 25 with Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Collinsville, Illinois. And Pastor, right here, we you said we, we've had this theme throughout Genesis, and we'll continue to have this theme, where the Lord opens and closes the womb. And here it talks about verse 24, the Lord granted his prayer and his wife conceived. Now, this can be quite, well, it's a joyous story, right? Whenever, whenever there is the birth of a child, there, there is joy. I mean, joy for all of us, right? But then there's that time where the barren, you know, that we have even in our world today. Um, what, would, what would be your counsel as, as someone reads this and, and is maybe struggling not being able to have children or never being able to have children? How we're able to look at the grace and mercy of God throughout. And what's been your counsel as you've worked with families in that way, Pastor? Yeah, I, I have said that, like like you said, we are clear that it is the Lord who is in charge. And as with other times, we don't always know why he works the way that he does. Uh, but we are called at all times to be faithful to him. We see multiple people in the scriptures in that situation. It says here, pleading to the Lord or praying to the Lord. Sometimes he grants those prayers, sometimes he doesn't. Uh, but at the same time, he is a loving and merciful Lord. And, and I, th I think one of the things, too, because we, we, maybe we can contrast this then with the last verse uh, when we get there, is that one of the ways we often think these days is that things should just work on our schedule, and we have life planned. And so, you know, we go to college, get a job, get married, work a while, then have a kid. And then, of course, we have one boy and one girl, and then we're done. And that's just how life should be. And we almost feel like that's our right. And one of the things that it's clear in the scriptures is that that's that's not a right. We have, I guess we have the Supreme Court trying to tell people, hey, some things aren't actually right. Mm. Uh, we also have Scripture telling us that at certain points, too, that one of the things we can't think is that we are owed things by God, like children, for instance. Now, God clearly sees them as a blessing, and he gives life when and where he wills, but it is exactly that, when and where he wills. And people oftentimes get in trouble if they try and get around that, as we saw with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. But as we can kind of see it today, too, when, when people just say, no, this is my right, I'm going to have a child, and I don't care what means have to happen. And when you, when you get in that mindset, you should probably talk to a pastor. There are ways to step out of bounds there. And we should return to passages like this where it says God is the one who opens and closes the womb and ultimately we, we, we should leave it with him uh, as, as hard as that is. I mean, you're right. Counseling people in those kinds of situations is never any fun because we'd all just like to have an answer that everyone wants happen immediately. And yet that's, that's not something you could do as a pastor and that's not something that people can demand just as people. And, and, you know, it brings up so many other ethical questions and thoughts and emotions, and which is why, and Pastor, you've always spoken about this, is that every 
every person is a soul to care for. And how do we apply God's word appropriately? Just because this goes back to that understanding of when we interpret scripture, that it's descriptive and prescriptive. So there he prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered that prayer. But there's times in our lives that we pray and the Lord does not give us the answer to that prayer, at least not the one that we prefer. And so it's good for us to remember that this is not an equation, but it's us always depending on the Lord to provide what he did. And so here there was joy, joy, the birth that they they were going to have children, but it's much like, I know you're a father, a pastor, that you, there were times at night where your wife has this little baby inside just moving around like crazy, but she had two of them. And they were clearly at war with one another. And, and so yeah. this found that interesting and obviously prophetic for what was to come. Any thoughts on that and her inquiry? Well, yeah, clearly she, she recognizes that something is not normal. This is not the normal amount of kicking that a baby <laughs> will do in the womb. It, it, she, she comes, inquires of the Lord. And I mean, it's very terse, like if, if it's like, if it's like this, why, right? Almost as if, well, why am I pregnant? If, th- if this is what is going on and the, the, the answer from the Lord is an odd one, somewhat explanatory, but at the same time, not relieving apparently the pain. Uh, there's an explanation there, but I get no indication that they, they immediately stopped fighting at that point. Uh, it, it appears to still go on like that. It doesn't stop and she does the right thing, right? So when, and this is something you do when, when you're, when you're pregnant or let's be honest, every morning, you know, we pray, uh, what's going on here? You know, what's, what's happening. And the beauty of the story is that God actually gives her a direct answer, which how do you say it? You gotta be careful because if sometimes you want God to give you a direct answer, but I'm not sure. If, uh, Rebecca was excited about the answer that the Lord gave to her. So anyways, <laughs> let's hear, exactly. let's hear what the Lord had to say. Verse 23. And the Lord Yahweh said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were the twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was hair, like a hairy cloak. And so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was six years old when she bore them. We're going we're gonna to stop there because the Lord answers her prayer. He, he says it all right. And what does he have to say for her, to her? Mm-hmm. He there's this war going on inside because there are two nations inside of you and apparently two nations that don't exactly always get along. And this is just, as you said, prophetic because this is the way it plays out for quite a while in Genesis is that they don't get along and that they are at odds. But the, the end of it is, and the older shall serve the younger. Now this is interesting because we have already seen this as a theme in Genesis. And it, it, it's counter to the way that things usually work. And you'll see the way that things usually work, like I said, at, at the end of at the end of this chapter. But even without this, you already know that usually the firstborn is the one who we would say 
takes over the farm, right? And then if there are other sons, that's fine. They'll be given a gift just like the, the sons of the concubine were, but only one can actually inherit the farm and make it go as a farm. If you're going to, if you're going to have 12 kids and divide it up, a farm up among 12 people, that's not going to be any good for any of them. So usually the first one gets the main inheritance or twice as much, however, you, however it normally goes, but they are expected to be the one to continue on. Here it says the older is going to serve the younger. Now that in and of itself is not normal, uh, but we have seen it repeatedly throughout Genesis way. Genesis this way. Saw it with Cain and Abel. You saw and not neither of those two, one because he was dead and the other because he was punished, but not inheriting and instead of having to go out and serve the other. You see it here with uh, Esau and Jacob. You will see it later on with the 12 sons of Jacob. It, again, it won't be the firstborn. You will see it with Joseph's children where Jacob actually crosses his hands to bless them so that the younger will get more of the blessing. And with that being a theme in Genesis, just repeatedly, you have to think, well, hold on. What what might that be pointing to? And then then you remember, I mean, Paul will say this outright in Romans 5, there are two men. There's Adam and there's Christ. And obviously Adam sinned and fell. And so he, he is not the man. Uh, it comes to the second one, the second man who is Christ, and that through him comes life and all of the inheritance. Right? We didn't get it. what we inherit from Adam is sin. What we inherit from Christ is all sorts of the blessings and promises of God. And so you, you kind of get already a feel that the way it normally works, the firstborn, but not in Genesis, and we would say furthermore, not actually in the scriptures either. Well, I mean, with that just comes the Lord have mercy. I mean, if we're, if we're surprised by sin in this, in this time, how could you read through Genesis and, and, and act as if all the good old days, you know, you just, you just, you just (laughs) can't do it. You just can't do it. Um, and here, especially that God, the Lord does not mix his words that basically, yep, you have two and these two are going to duke it out. And, you know, don't, don't even try to have some kind of excitement over them hanging out over supper, uh, throughout their lives. However, however, we could read into this, that it's never going to work, but we do know from the Bible that guess what? There is reconciliation. And that was only by the hands of our Lord, which is just a beautiful twist to the story. So if you, you don't ever want to end in 25, you got to keep moving on. It might no, not look like no, it's getting it better. Reunion. It is a yeah, fantastic right. part of the scriptures that is in, to me very much so in line with the prodigal son. I mean, it just really yep. brings it all back together. But here in verse 24, um, the days gave birth, um, the twins in her, in her, in her womb just has these interesting little tidbits that obviously helps us later on, but. The first, he came out red, which you're kind of like, well, of course he's red. He's got blood on him, but maybe there's more to that story. And his body was full of hair, like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Just very interesting details in here that obviously Moses is writing this, knowing the rest of the story, and he just puts it in there by the power of the Holy Spirit. Any thoughts on Esau as we hear of him when he first comes out? 
Well, we, we know that names in scriptures oftentimes have some kind of key to who the people are or, or what they are called to do. And Esau being red is going to play into the next immediate story because it turns out that he likes, not only is he red and hairy, it turns out he likes red too, as his father did. And that's true. That, <laughs> that'll come in later. When you get to Jacob and his name, I mean, it says afterward his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. His name was called Jacob. And that this also has to, has to do with his life. And that grasping him by his heel sometimes can mean being supplanted, someone who takes something that belongs to someone else, which will be exactly what happens next. Or it can also mean trickster or something like that. And we very much see that Jacob does play that part. Uh, as you said earlier, it'll become clear in the next part of this chapter, but more so later on when he tricks his father out of the birthright or the blessing, I mean, that uh, it's just another area where the scripture tells us what happens and it doesn't say immediately whether or not it's good or bad. But I think we all recognize we don't want to be around people who act like Jacob as he does here mm -hmm. uh, and a little bit later when he tricks his father. But there is also a little bit of poetic justice when Jacob, the trickster, meets someone else who's at least as crafty as him and <laughs> has to uh, get as good as he gives. So <laughs> oh, that's such a good point. And this really does wet the palate kind of like a preview to a movie, you know, like Top Gun Maverick yep. or something. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to hear the rest, you know, and that's exactly what's happening. And there's this. um you know, when Paul uses the language of a thorn in the flesh, that there's this kind of, he, I've heard various things. One, he's grabbing the heel because he doesn't, he's trying to pull, you know, he's trying to pull Esau back. So he's the firstborn was one. I've also heard it <laughs> kind of, you know, interpreted as he's grabbing that heel as kind of like that thorn in the side. Like I'm going to constantly be that little Achilles heel to you. You know, you're just never going to be able to get rid of me like a mosquito or something in the summer. And, and it's just this, like you said, poetic justice is beautiful. Um, one thing I found interesting is that just kind of play on words. Isaac is 60 years old at this time. Well, as far as we understand yeah. in chronology, you know, Abraham then would be 160 years old and it wasn't until Correct. the twins were 15 that Abraham actually died. So sometimes we forget that, that they actually wasn't overlap, that they had grandpa time, you know, they heard the stories. Mm -hmm of what the Lord had done. Um, and, and that's just a beautiful thing too, to think about that that would have happened in a beautiful way, mm -hmm. um, during those years. So just side note, but anything else you have on those verses, pastor? No, <laughs> that's even better. So let's go to verse 27, verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Well, Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Rebecca loved Jacob. This sounds like a, a family feud is really ready to start. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, this, this is something that you also see portrayed, especially in Genesis, but elsewhere too. That you just, I mean, as you said, you're a father, I'm a father. I don't know how they wouldn't have known this, but just 
glomming on to one of your children over and against the other, I mean, how is that possibly going to come out well? We know as father that you can't do that. No. Uh, but it happened multiple times in Genesis. Now, th- th- there could be something to, you know, the kids have different temperaments, and obviously Esau is like his father and his love for that too. Uh, and, and maybe Jacob is just more like Rebecca. So it could be something like temperamentally they get along better. But here, and especially then when you get to Joseph, just the outright favoritism by the parents. Right. And no, that doesn't end well. <laughs> and and it's, it, it is fascinating because it's no secret that we, we love our kids. Um, we love all of our kids. I think we need to stop there at times because you have to love them differently. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is, you know? And, and oh, I love all my needs. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, everybody move to Imperial, Nebraska. Your pastor is amazing. Um, is, uh, <laughs> is this reality too, that there's going to be some that, that you just kind of naturally, you know, just jive with. Um, mm-hmm. differently than the other kids, you know, I'm trying to watch my words because it it is something that is, it's a beautiful thing as long as we're able to understand it within context of how the Lord works in our families. So here it, it's, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit too simplistic for me. I, this is probably one of the more frustrating parts that I've read so far in Genesis. It says Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game and you're like, yeah. Uh, so he liked to stew. I mean, is that how, is that <laughs> Is this, is this the, is this the monitor of a good father son relationship now, or how does this all work? And then, you know, Rebecca loved Jacob. It gets them both in trouble. Exactly. By the way, I, they, they, that detail specifically is hilarious because it gets them both in trouble. I know exactly. It's the problem from the beginning. <laughs> Jeez, it's so and then, crazy. yeah. So, I mean, Esau's a skillful hunter. Jacob is a house cat. Uh, this is just the way it, it's just a fascinating, it's, it's an interesting detail. And, uh, it, it will play out though. And it, and it does. You're exactly right. He's definitely setting the stage for what the problems are going to be. You know, uh, he's going to send out, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to send out Esau because he likes the game that he would have. He knows how to fix it. He knows how, he knows how to make sure it gets done correctly. Um, and Rebecca loved Jacob and that's exactly how the demise was was played and uh the, yep. the work that happened so yeah it definitely sets the stage but if you just read it alone oh my it is just like this oh soap opera of family dynamics no doubt about it mm-hmm. so, so pastor before we get to we have about 10 minutes left in our time anything else you want to highlight in those first 20 verses of chapter 25 no i mean this is a setup for the next major section of uh, of genesis you're gonna we're gonna be with jacob for the next several chapters. Yeah, exactly. This will become more and more true. So I'm just going to read the rest and, and we'll, we'll start off how we look at Jacob and, and, and Esau and their relationship. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What is the birthright to me? Jacob says, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. 
So once again, as, as we know from here, Esau worked in the field and Jacob was a cook, you know, he was the, the chef of the family and he, well, Jacob definitely used that against him. Um, how do you, how do you want to break this down? Uh, well, I mean, we can just start with Esau coming in and just, just demanding food because he's famished and going so far, right. I'm starving. And he'll basically say, I'm, I'm about to die. I am starving to death. I need food now. Mm. Now, I, I don't think anyone is going to commend Jacob's actions here because it's clearly cunning and it's clearly calculated. But at the same time, Esau, throughout the rest of Scripture, is, is seen as the one who was worse off here. Because say what you want about his cunning, at least Jacob recognizes what is more important, or at least what is of more value. And so when Jacob says, wait, you're going to give me your birthright for, for a bowl of soup? Done. Let's, let's, let's sign it. Swear to me right now. Sign on the dotted line. Yeah, I'll do that. And like I said, that's not exactly how you would, that's not, I don't think I wouldn't be in line with keeping the golden rule. I wouldn't want others to treat me that way because I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to do it to others. No. But at the same, same time, there is something to him at least recognizing things that are more important and just the complete lack of Esau recognizing that at all until it's too late until he loses it all, and, and then he's mad. He doesn't even recognize, he doesn't even make a comment here about it. He doesn't make a comment until after Jacob steals the blessing, and then he says, well, by the way, why, why isn't there another blessing? That's the first, that's chapters away. The, he mm. doesn't even bring it up here, right? That's so there the is this kind of short-sightedness about Esau, and, and one of the things that clearly is marked out as sin here and elsewhere is just being led around by your gut, being led around by here, literally your stomach. But we would say later on being led around by your gut or your, just your fleshly desires. That is wrong. It is sinful. And you, you can just stop right there. But to compound that with, not only being led around by your desire, your base desires and your gut, but being willing to treat things of true value with such little care and such little regard. That's actually what the last verse hints on him. It's not just that he follows his gut. That's certainly true. But the last sentence says, thus Esau despised his birthright. And that is a verse that I've actually been thinking about quite a bit over the last year or two, because we oftentimes as pastors and in America, when, when we have this language of rights, and as I said, we were talking about it in the Supreme Court last week, when we have this language of rights, we uh, sometimes we have to make the move where it says, well, actually, there aren't that many rights described in the scriptures. There, there are duties, there are responsibilities, there are blessings, there are promises. But as for standing in front of God and arguing your rights, that doesn't come off too well. 
later on in the scriptures, right? We're, we're going to have nothing to boast of. We're not, even our good deeds are as filthy rags and all that kind of stuff. But, and that's true. I've made that spiel before. Uh, but there is something here too of the fact that Esau is the firstborn, which has a birthright attached to it. And that there, there is therefore something that is expected of him, that he is going to inherit, he will be the head of the household, and this is an expectation of him. We do maybe have some kind of common knowledge of this. If you think of, I mean, usually these days we would think of kings or royalty, where the sons specifically are taught, listen, you someday you are going to be king, therefore you need to know A, B, and C, and you're going to have to act this way, this way, and this way, and you need to know how to play these kind of games. Uh, because it's something important, because the throne is of value for a child just to throw it away, as the recent prince did. I mean, he got booed the last time he got off a plane at home mm-hmm. because, yeah. because he's thrown it away, right? Because I, I don't, I, it doesn't mean, I don't want it. And, and here you have Esau despising his birthright. And I, I said I've been thinking about this over the last couple of years because obviously there are rights accorded us in the actual Constitution not made up out of the 14th Amendment later on by judges. But there are actual rights that, you know, in the last couple of years, some of us have been thinking about, well, hey, we don't, we don't need to do that. We don't need to meet together. We don't need to do this, that, and the other. Uh, hold on a second, right? What rights are you willing to give up and at what cost? And what might it say about you? <laughs> Uh, that's kind of one of the one of the ways I've been thinking about it lately. But what what are your thoughts? And I think you're I think you're exactly right. You you put it in in, in the perspective that are we thinking about this wrong? You know what are mm-hmm. where is God in this equation? And is it is it about you know the God of my belly? Which is a really interesting way to look at this. How often we get hangry. Um, and you see that mm-hmm. in Exodus, you know, clearly they're thirsty yep. and they're hungry and they're like, well, what, what good is God for us? I mean, they just saw him split the Red Sea for Pete's sake, you know, um, and yep. acting as if God won't provide instead of praying, they complain. Of course, you know, we can all relate with that. And the leeks and melons. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and here it clearly is something where God had given Esau the birthright, the responsibility for the care of his family and, and, and the lineage that was there brings us back to Adam, right? He was given the responsibility to make sure they don't eat from that tree, but yet he allowed it to happen. And, and it, we see that throughout the scriptures. And for us, as you know, whatever vocations you have, there are times where this is who I'm called to be. Is this a rights issue? Well, we could have a long conversation about that, but we forget where God has placed us. And then therefore we are to follow his will accordingly. And that's where everything gets all messed up here. I mean, and all it was, was over a lousy fruit, a piece of fruit. And here it's over a lousy, uh, uh, a little bit of food as you look at everything or a lousy 30 pieces of silver in the new Testament, all of that. Yeah. And we remember that. I mean, not, not yeah. for nothing does the devil start with 
the right. temptation beginning with food. Yeah. It's worked multiple times before. It has. Keeps doing it. It keeps working. <laughs> so, so Pastor, unfortunately, we're out of time. I, we got so into this, I kind of lost track of time. So, Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Collinsville, Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 25. Pastor Adel, God's blessings to you as you begin your new call. And thank you again for bringing us his gifts this morning. You as well. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, president of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.